Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Forty is the nothing personal word of the day for September 1st, 2022. Serena Williams is 40 years old, almost 41. I was watching her at the U.S. Open because I haven't watched a women's tennis match all year, but this is it for Serena. And she's taking on the number two seed last night in front of a packed house. And I was feeling excited about New York, knowing that the Mets, about 10 yards away, were playing in front of a packed house. Happy I wasn't part of the traffic. The USTA, it's packed out. And Serena's playing the number two seed. ESPN is drawing unbelievable ratings. There's no question they want her to get into the second week of the US Open. And I was thinking prior to the match that if it were like another sport, there would be something that would happen where the umpires or various people would be would be told we need Serena to win this match. This can't be the end because there's too much excitement and it can build to an insane crescendo during the course of the next several days. And so I'm watching Serena wins the first set 7-6 and then loses the second set 6-2. And then I was watching thinking she's playing really well though. And so is her opponent. I don't think her opponent's taking a dive. I think it's possible that her opponent is a little overwhelmed by the moment, doesn't necessarily play well in majors. She's the best player in the history of Estonia, but she was playing fine. So the third set happens and the crowd, it's just they're showing stars that are cutting away every single break in the action or in between points they're cutting whether it's to tiger woods i think serena's mom was asleep by the way which was interesting so and venus looked quite unhappy to be there because maybe she was tired and the match was taking a long time so the third set's happening and serena all of a sudden starts playing and hitting the ball so hard and just is the better player at 40. And the business side of this should not be underestimated. So when a tournament happens or when a sporting event happens and it's already a, a deal with the broadcaster, 
there are people who believe and get to me on Twitter who say, is this helpful right now? And the answer is no, because there is a broadcast rights agreement that ESPN has for the U.S. Open, and they don't pay a bonus because there's more people watching. They do not get to increase any rates. There's no increase in the cost of a subscription to ESPN, a monthly subscription. None of that happens. But what current day excitement does is lead to future day revenue. So for ESPN, it's critical. And for the USTA, it's critical because when it comes to the next deal, even if there is no next Serena, you still will get to charge more money and there'll be more competition, especially with the platforms, you know, Amazon, Apple, everybody looking for live sports. And so it's just good, all around good. But the one thing I want to point out about the match, two things that that struck me, not one, strike that, Coca, two things that struck me about the match. Number one, and I tweeted about this, was the instant replay of tennis. If you never watch tennis, just watch one of the matches at the U.S. Open. There aren't 17 umpires and referees around the court anymore. It's just like a computer. And they don't get any calls wrong, and it takes a quarter of a second to get every call right. The number of hours I spent in baseball meetings talking about tennis's replay, and it's even better now than it used to be, but even as recently as five years ago, you sit in a meeting and you wonder, could we do something? Is there technology we can put in the bases that can differentiate? Can we put it in players' shoes that can say when the shoe is on the base, like is the first baseman's shoe on the base? And then differentiate between the runner's shoe and the defensive player's shoe. Is there a way to do something in a glove that doesn't change sort of the way the glove acts as a tool to play baseball? But what can we do? Can we put some sort of line around the bases? What? What can we do that can happen fast so we don't have umpires with headphones and and, and managers putting their hands on their ears and holding up the game and waiting for their video room to decide whether or not to throw a challenge? Because tennis is immediate. Baseball wants it. Once the technology is here and it's going to happen, baseball is going to get it. And it's going to be an outstanding moment for all of us. It's going to cut the time of game and it's never going to be wrong. Of course, it's going to upset some umpires, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be better for the game. So I'm watching tennis do that and seeing the shadow of the a ball. One of the shots was, was in by like a millimeter, but they show it clear as day. There's no more John McEnroe-like arguing or throwing rackets around. There, you can't be serious. There's nothing to say because it's not wrong. Someone tweeted at me that, what if the technology is bad? What if they have it wrong? No, it's not, it's right. The second thing that struck me about the match that I was interested in was the way the New York crowds are. New York crowds are the greatest at, at tennis and they're all into it. They're obviously all rooting for Serena. And there was a time during the third set when they were clapping faults by her opponent, and yes, I'm saying her opponent because I don't want to say her name wrong. And uh, Serena motioned to the crowd and said, stop. You don't need to do that for me. And I was thinking back to the other matches that Serena's played. Wasn't it when uh, Serena lost to Osaka and the crowd was booing and not 
congratulating Osaka and Osaka was crying and Serena was upset about the whole thing. I don't remember when that was. That may have been in Wimbledon. I guess it could have been in the U.S. Open, actually, but I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. And I was thinking about the power that one person can have over a crowd and having spoken to players about this, the difficulty it is in retiring. Serena plays the way she's playing at 40. Is she thinking to herself, wow, this is me retiring at the top. I could go again. I could add to my 23 Grand Slams if I can't get it done this year. But she is so set on retiring that this is it. So if you have not seen Serena and you have not watched US Open tennis, please make sure that you do. I'm not sure at all that uh, that the players that she plays, I guess her next match, she's playing doubles with Venus. She now has a third round match and everyone's watching and hoping that she'll win that and make it onto the, the quarters and the semis. And it's just gonna keep drawing more interest. It's a lot like a, a home run trace, uh, Coca, ready? Four, six, nine. It's a lot like a home run chase where when Pujols, as an example, is at 685. Yeah, it's close to 700, but it's not going to happen. He gets to 690. There's a few more articles. A few more people are interested. He's up at 694, and now they're going to do more national games, more cut-ins. When he gets to 699, it's going to be a absolute frenzy of excitement, as frenzy as you can be in baseball. And... Uh, this is just good. It's good for ratings. It's good for sports. It's good for money. I hope Serena keeps going. Good luck. There is someone who is not going to keep going, and that is Tony Larusa. Tony Larusa is a 77-year-old manager of the Chicago White Sox, who I have made very clear on this show that I am not happy. He's a Hall of Famer. Was put in the Hall of Fame in 2014. He has won multiple World Series. He is the most difficult manager I've ever had to deal with in baseball. We shared a spring training facility with the Cardinals. He is brutal, to say the least, in terms of cooperating and being nice and all the other things. However, there is no arguing where he stands in history. But when he got the job in Chicago with the White Sox, I was reticent because I didn't think that he was a good fit. He got the job due to his friendship. And as you know, where I stand on getting jobs because you know people, I'm in like Flynn. But when you're trying to win the way Reinsdorf was trying to win, I'm not sure that that LaRusso was the right person. On Tuesday night, he did not manage because he was not feeling well. And then all of a sudden yesterday, it was announced that Tony LaRusso is indefinitely gone from the team because of some sort of heart issue that he's not sure what it is. He feels fine. No one's sure what it is, but he's back in Arizona where he lives getting tests. He's 77. I don't think that I can properly explain to you the schedule of a major league baseball team. The difficulty in playing every day, obviously, they are treated like kings. It is easy to travel. You have charter planes. You have buses that go right to the door. Then you have buses from the door right to the hotel. Your hotel room key is waiting for you with your name on it. You've got snacks in the room. You've got snacks in the lobby. You've got buses and cars that bring you to a game. So it is not exactly tough sledding. But when you're 77... 
the grind of the schedule is incredibly difficult. Remember, they've been doing this. He's been coming to the park every day since the middle of, I was going to say the middle of February, but this year that's not accurate because of the lockout, but since March. We're now in September. Tony LaRusso, when he leaves, the way it works is the team gets together. Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, and Rick Hahn, owner, president of baseball operations, and GM. They get told that Tony LaRusso is leaving the team, and they immediately have to decide who the interim manager is. You generally would go to your bench coach. That's the rule of thumb, and that's what the White Sox did. Miguel Cairo, former player, you may have watched him play is becoming their manager. They put an interim tag on him because that's what he is. But the reality is that he'll be managing very likely for the rest of the year because when you have any possibility of a heart problem, you do not want to be managing a baseball team. And Major League Baseball will get involved in that they're going to work with Reinsdorf to make sure that he is not prematurely brought back. As you know, you do not want any sort of issue on the field of play. You do not want any problems with someone who is not perfectly physically fit. We had that when we had Jack McKeon, who was on the old side as a manager for us for three years, back in 03, 04, 05, and then he came back another year. And it's something that we had spoken to baseball about. They were aware, obviously, of his age, and we were just careful with him. And I remember being on team buses with Jack and him just looking tired. Now, he's 92 and still going strong, but it, the reality is that you should be worried about Tony La Russa off the field on the field i'm pretending tony's back to being a 45 year old manager it's been an unmitigated disaster for the white Sox. there is no question in my mind that jerry reinsdorf is not unhappy that larusa is off the field he doesn't want his friend to be sick doesn't want his friend to die none of that not wishing ill on him but there's something wrong with the white Sox this year they are six and a half games. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're six and a half games back of the wild card. They're not going to win their division. They're behind the Twins and the Guardians. And they were chosen by me and everybody else to run away with the division this year. They were the, the, the biggest division favorite of all six division favorites. I am totally anecdotally saying that. But if you look back, I'm going to be close. So what do you do? when he says he's ready to come back and you don't want him back. If I'm the president of the team, I'm going to Jerry and I'm starting this conversation today. I'm starting to say that I think it's best to move on from Tony LaRussa. I think that we should start fresh in 2023 after this dis sort of disappointing, oh, I'm right, Coca, that's pretty good. The White Sox were minus 200 to win their division. There was no one bigger. Even the Dodgers were only minus 160 back when the season started. The Dodgers are now 90 games over 500, and they must be. What's the current Dodger? Uh, is it even on the board for the Dodgers to win the division? I would be. I would assume it's minus 25,000 to one or something totally ridiculous. It's off the board because it's over as we head into September. There's a bunch of divisions. Did you see that the Yankees are only six games over 
the Rays and the Cardinals are six games over the Brewers? Who had the Yankees as the same size division lead as the Cardinals a month ago? I didn't. Anyway, back to Tony LaRussa. You've got a situation where this is the perfect end to LaRussa's reign. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, finally has the excuse to say, hey, we're moving on, but it's not because I don't love you. It's not because we're not friends. It's not because we made a mistake in bringing you on, but it's simply because you're not well, and Tony will back away. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but either way, we will revisit it. Guess what? Tony LaRusso will not be back this season or ever. Book it. Wait to see. The other thing that happened in baseball yesterday made me smile. We've pretty much told you that when you see Angel Hernandez as one of your umpires in baseball or C.B. Buckner as one of your umpires in baseball during a game as on your crew, we get a list of the crews in advance so you know who your crew is and you're just despondent beyond repair because you know you're going to have to deal with ineffectiveness. You're going to have to argue with him. You're going to have to talk to the league office. It's a whole Megillah when you've got Angel Hernandez umpiring your games. And Angel Hernandez, to remind you, is the umpire who's suing Major League Baseball for discrimination, thinking that this is the time in history where suing for discrimination is going to work because he is a minority who thinks that he has not gotten World Series assignments, which mean more money for the umpire. He has not gotten playoff assignments. That he has not been a crew chief because he's Angel Hernandez, the Latin man. But no, he doesn't get those assignments because he's Angel Hernandez, the bad umpire man. And the lawsuit has not gone away. Yesterday, Major League Baseball had to respond to a motion or a pleading or they had to submit some sort of written brief in the case. And they finally just came out and said, listen, the reason why Angel Hernandez was not an umpire in 2018, he was so bad in the division series in 2018, he had so many overturned calls, like three of them, that Joe Torrey, who at that time was, was running the show, he said, we can't possibly assign him to the World Series. If you are a judge looking at that case, are you going to interject yourself and say, oh, I, I think Hernandez clearly was worthy of a World Series assignment. You're going to look at the statistics. You're going to look at the rankings, at the ratings. And so Angel Hernandez is arguing that his ratings were always decent and there's no reason why he didn't get assignments. But then Major League Baseball are going to show all the missed calls and then compare his missed calls to other missed calls, explain how they do umpire assignments in the World Series, which is based on umpires who are not going to get calls wrong. And I was just spending my time. We had Angel Hernandez almost every spring training game. The way they do spring training assignments is that if you have a umpire who lives in Florida, which Angel Hernandez does, you're going to get him a lot. And this was before the Astros and Nationals had spring training in Palm Beach. And so the teams down south were the Cardinals and the Marlins and the Mets, who at that time were in uh, Port St. Lucie. And all you're thinking to yourself is every day I got to look at this guy and I have to watch him umpire. 
he takes up a lot of oxygen within Major League Baseball's offices because the time spent trying to figure out how to get rid of him is more time than they spend playing Wordle or figuring out how to make games shorter. It really is a topic of conversation that's gone on pre-Rob Manford with Bud Selig around. That's how long it's been. Angel Hernandez has no chance. No chance. It's just not going to happen. Okay, we're going to take a break now because listen to the commercials, listen to the gauntlet, but come on back. We're going to talk about a, it's a double review, which may be the first time I've done a double review in 653 episodes, and you're going to want to hear about it when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you. I need to go through this. You need to rate and review and follow Nothing Personal. Tell your friends about it. We're growing. Thank you for a great August. We were nervous after uh, doing uh, Africa in July that there was a concern that where would everyone go? Well, not only did you all come back, but more of you came back. So we do appreciate that. First day of September. Let's see what this month brings. So I still watch a movie every day. I get suggestions from Coca. I get suggestions from you. Sometimes I just go on and see what the new releases are. That's how I got to Me Time, which I reviewed earlier this week, which I'm still recovering from. Coca asked me to watch Katrina Babies, a new documentary on HBO Max, because I told him I was also watching Five Days at Memorial. Is it Five Days in Memorial or at Memorial? It's the new series on Apple TV that they're releasing one day a week. Every Friday, a memorial is the hospital in New Orleans. I was not aware at all. It's five days at memorial. Thank you, Coca. Let me give you a review of these two movies and then talk about the concept of disaster relief and the way we give money, we give time, we give thought, and then we move on. 
Five Days at Memorial is about Memorial Hospital in New Orleans. And I was in baseball during Katrina. I remember that we did drives in Florida and around baseball and sent equipment and, and supplies and felt terribly about what was happening. But played the next day and, and, and life went on. And then you read about Brad Pitt is going to build houses. He's going to help rebuild. There's charity. Sean Penn was down there, of course. Everything's going on. I was not aware of what was going on inside this hospital where 45 people were found dead right after uh, evacuations. So remember, Katrina sort of missed New Orleans. It took a turn right at the end, but New Orleans got a ton of rain, but they survived a ton of wind damage. But Katrina did not crush New Orleans. What crushed New Orleans, and I acknowledge, I forgot this, is that the levees broke. And the levees that keep water from flooding your town, when they break, it's BA triple D. And New Orleans was basically underwater. I was not aware that the response, I had not remembered exactly because it was 17 years ago. And I had not remembered exactly that people were at the Superdome and people were at the convention center and the federal government didn't really know what was going on. The local and state government did not know what was going on. They were, the rescue efforts were absolutely horrific, as you may recall. I had forgotten that George Bush did a flyover peering out the window and got absolutely crushed for doing that. This TV series with Vera Farmagon Apple and Cherry Jones talks about the five days after Katrina and what happened in that hospital and what happens when you have no power, no water, no food, no rescue, no chance. What do you do with patients who are suffering? Spoiler alert, 45 of them died. I'm not going to spoil how they died, except to say that if it doesn't get you thinking about what you would do in that situation, then you are not properly focused on the human condition. But that's not the point of five days at Memorial for me. The point is we are the United States of America. I don't wanna do a Jeff Daniels newsroom episode. I don't wanna say that we're not the greatest country in the world and that we've got this problem and that problem because I think we all know that. But how is it possible even when the, there was a war going on at that time, you remember uh, the war in the Persian Gulf, I think it was the Iraqi war, maybe Afghanistan, there was National Guard, that we, half the National Guard was deployed overseas, so they had just a slow response to New Orleans. But how do we allow all of the poor people and all of the people of color just to stay there and die? I don't really get it. Remember when Kanye West said George Bush doesn't like black people? I think that was his line. And watching this TV series, it's so intense. It's the episode one is called day one. Episode two is day two. Guess what episode five is day five. And you're watching and all you're saying to yourself is, please, this cannot be true, except it is. It is so important for you to watch. And when I told Coke I was watching it, he said, do me a favor and watch Katrina Babies. Katrina Babies is a documentary directed and starring Edward Buckles Jr. And it's exactly about what you would think. The line in the beginning of the movie of Katrina Babies 
is no one asks how the children are doing, so I am. I find myself to be, at that time, less than empathetic, less than caring about anything outside of my orbit of being the president of a baseball team. I find myself today being far more interested in the macro picture of our country, of our world, thinking about issues because that's what I present here on the show, like we did with Yeshiva University yesterday and like we're doing today with the children who suffered because of Katrina. I never once thought of it. I hate admitting that. I hate admitting that it didn't occur to me when I'm watching babies being rescued in baskets by helicopters that I never thought about what would happen to them the year after, the year after, the year after, where they were going. And I was watching Five Days of Memorial and they show the evacuations and I kept thinking, they never show where they're going. And then Katrina Babies starts, and that's a real documentary, so that's actual footage, and they're showing kids being rescued off roofs that were flooded post the levees breaking and then not a word and this documentary goes through following the children talking to the children who are now it's 15 years later quick math seven-year-olds are 22 10-year-olds are 25 they're old enough to express what was going on they remember Katrina, when you ask them what was the seminal moment in their life, they say Katrina. And I said to myself, oh, I get it. This must be because it was so scary. But that's not what the movie's about. The movie's about what happened in New Orleans after Katrina, where the rebuild was focused. One of the most interesting stories in Katrina Babies is one of the 15-year-olds who's older now, talking about what wasn't rebuilt, like youth centers, mentor programs, places for kids to go after school, which meant that he had to start carrying a gun at the age of 15 because it was so dangerous in New Orleans after Katrina. No one had anything but anger, violence, despair, and that becomes self-perpetuating. So for 80 minutes, you're thinking to yourself as you are shaking. I was shaking watching this documentary. I was emotional. I was angry. I felt guilty. I'm watching it from a movie theater in a house where I have nothing to worry about ever. And these kids' lives have been crushed. And they're adults now. I'm not going to spoil what happens to some of the kids, what doesn't happen to some of the kids. I'm going to shout out to Edward Buckles Jr. for doing what other people aren't doing, for saying the quiet part out loud, which is something that we love doing at Nothing Personal. And I ask you to watch both of these shows and then decide what can we do? How many causes can we rally behind are there enough people to rally behind all the causes remember i talked about supporting lung cancer because my sister had lung cancer and you support parkinson's because my best friend has parkinson's you have to give money when there are natural disasters the players unions do it the leagues do it and they make these big announcements 
the Major League Baseball Players Association has donated $2 million to the victims of blank. They just keep that press release at the ready and they fill in the blank. They budget. They budget. We budgeted. The Marlins, every team budgets disaster relief to make sure you've got the money ready. No one's budgeting follow-up. Ever. Nothing personal pick of the day. What's the difference when you win in 13 innings versus winning in nine? Or when you thought you were making the pick because Quintana was going to have a great game and he pitches four and two thirds? How many times have we lost a pick of the day when something bad happened? Well, we won one when something good happened. The Cardinals offense was stagnant for about two and a half hours, but they beat the Reds and we are now 16 games over 93 and 77 is the pick of the day one. A game to watch tonight, unless you watch the U.S. Open, but Serena's not playing. Oh, is she playing doubles tonight? So I guess you could be watching the U.S. Open. First time ever women's first round doubles on center court, the night match. Is it the night match or just on center court? I assume they're going to have Serena play at night because she just played at night last night. So why play in the morning? But I don't actually know when they're playing. Money is so ESPN called and said, hey. Get Serena, prime time. Any case, I'm going to be watching tennis, but also Shane Justin Bieber of the Guardians is pitching against the Orioles. I'm taking the Guardians over the Orioles. The Guardians and the Orioles, I don't, if you guess this, then I'm very impressed, but I'm going to say you haven't. They've got two of the top three records in the American League since the All-Star break. Did you have that? The Yankees have the best record since the All-Star break. Not. So the Orioles are 22 and 15. The Guardians are 22 and 16. The Guardians are in first place. Still, the Guardians who traded Lindor, their payroll is minuscule. For all of you complaining that the Marlins are 20 games under with a low payroll, take a look at the Orioles and Indians and Rays. And uh, it's Guardians, sorry, the Orioles, Guardians, and Rays. And you'll see that maybe it's about the quality of the front office. All right. Bieber and the Guardians over the Orioles. All right, Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. For those new to nothing personal, go check out the movie Half-Baked. It's always good to be 61, 69th baked when you watch half baked. Anything over, right, 40 80ths is going to be good. And there's a character in there named Samson. People want to talk to him. If you want to talk to me, get on Twitter. Twitter changed something yesterday. I'm not getting alerts for DMs, which I can't because otherwise it would just be a buzzathon. But now there's, it helps you very clearly what you haven't responded to, what you have responded to. to. And I find that to be extremely anxiety producing because there's so many things in bold with big blue dots now that I'm very sad. But I try to get as many as I can and I promise you that I'm trying to read as many and if it's show worthy, then guess what? It'll be on the show. Hi, David. It's always good to do that. Hello. Did you see that Sinclair hired investment banks 
Can you explain to me whether I will be able to watch baseball games if the network goes bankrupt? You're thinking to yourself, huh? Should I turn it off? Should I stop listening to the show? No, this is a big story. Sinclair, you may know as Bally, if you watch baseball, Bally Sports Florida. They rebranded all of these regional sports networks. Regional sports networks are where you are getting your baseball games. Each team does a deal with the regional sports network. Some teams own their regional sports networks. Other teams own a part of a regional sports network. Other teams just get a rights fee, meaning they cash a check every month from the regional sports network in return for licensing their games to that network. You then pay a monthly amount to get that network on cable, or you pay a monthly amount to Hulu Live or YouTube Live or wherever you are getting your stations, or you take the streaming service, etc. And in return, you get to watch your team play. Forget the blackout rules, forget all that stuff. Fox used to own all of these regional sports networks. A couple of years ago, they sold them to Sinclair Broadcasting for, I want to say, $9 billion, some huge amount of money. And there was a great concern upon that purchase that the regional sports networks were trending downward to begin with because so many people were cutting the cord. And these networks had to find a way either through streaming, through video on demand, through whatever they were going to do to figure out how to give this product to the people in a way that they want to consume it. And like many big companies, when they make an acquisition, they borrow the money. They don't write checks themselves. They don't ask, ask season ticket holders. They don't ask stockholders to all of a sudden give them money. They borrow the money. When you borrow money, it's something called leverage. You have leveraged your company. The problem with having too much debt, too much leverage, is that if you cannot afford to pay the monthly payments, which are mostly interest and slight principal, if you have a mortgage, you know this, you have credit card debt, you know that you're being charged tremendous interest and you're paying back interest in a tiny bit of your actual credit card bill. But either way, the only way to be successful when you have a huge amount of debt is if the money you have borrowed is at a lower percentage than the return on investment you get when you put that money into action. It's the Bobby Bonilla contract, right? The reason why the Mets deferred all that money is let's say they're paying Bobby Bonilla 8% interest. If they're making 12% interest by taking that money and using it somewhere else, then they're better off. But if you borrow money at 5% and you get a return of 1% on that money, guess what? You're out of a job. So Sinclair got stuck with these RSNs, stuck with all this debt, and they are in danger of going bankrupt. And there are people who think that's good for baseball because baseball has been very clear that they want to control all the streaming services for all of the streaming rights for all of their teams. They want to pool them and sell them for a huge amount of money or do it all themselves. There are teams who have given their streaming rights over like the Marlins did to Bally Sports Florida, who has the right to stream the Marlins games, not the Marlins, not Major League Baseball. But the thought was that if Sinclair goes bankrupt, 
that all of a sudden that would lead to open season and MLB could get all the streaming rights back under one roof. But MLB actually doesn't think that. They don't want Sinclair to go bankrupt no matter what they're saying publicly, privately, or even inside the rooms. Because the reality of them going bankrupt is that the teams who get rights payments every month will not be getting those rights payments while bankruptcy court decides what to do with all the creditors because a baseball team is simply a creditor of the broadcast network who gives them rights fees. So if they owe you, let's say, $100 million a year, for math, say $60 million a year, there's six months of a season, say $10 million a month, the teams need that money. Local TV revenue in baseball is the same as the national TV run money in football in terms of the importance to operations. It is critical to all 30 teams that they get paid their local rights deal. And in the case of a bankruptcy, the baseball teams are going to be lining up. Now, you have the ability to cure so there is a way to get out of the contracts and then figure out who's going to broadcast your games and get money from a different platform. But baseball is pretty positive that they will not be able to get as quickly as they would need the same amount of money the teams are currently getting in rights deals. Let's say the Marlins at $60 million, make that number up. If all of a sudden they stop getting those payments... They're not going to find anybody to give them $10 million a month to broadcast Marlins games. And if the teams lose that revenue stream, guess what they have to do? They have to go to Major League Baseball and Central Fund to get that money made up. And that is a loss for the sport. That is a loss for the other teams who are all going to be funding the teams who need money because they can't function and they could end up going bankrupt. So having Sinclair go bankrupt is not going to be good. Therefore, how do you stop yourself from going bankrupt? It's called a restructure. You'll read that word a lot. Sometimes in business, you read the word restructure. Restructure means that you're going to screw as many people as possible. You're going to find somebody to bail you out by giving you money to pay back what you absolutely have to. And then you're going to basically screw everybody else. You're going to call it a restructure and say you're going to do everything better. Airlines used to do this when they were getting crushed. They would call it restructuring. It really means they're just going to increase the price of your plane ticket. So what's happening is that Sinclair has hired all of these consultants, Samson, Coca, et al., to figure out what they should do and how they should clean up their balance sheet, eliminate some debt so they can be sold or they can somehow operate more profitably. This is a long, long process. Baseball is watching this incredibly carefully. They are going to do anything they can that is in their best interest, both short-term and long-term. Short-term, it means making sure Sinclair still pays. Long-term, it's making sure Sinclair disappears. Wow, that's serving two different agendas, isn't it? You need to have some good strategic minds within baseball, and they've got them. So they are intimately involved in this situation. They will be intimately involved in the solution. And you can bet your bippy 
that the solution for Sinclair is going to involve something that is helpful to baseball and not helpful to bondholders and debt holders of Sinclair. Wait to see. Not an official wait to see, but trust me, you're going to want to wait to see. Thank you for that question. I wanted to talk about something that uh, Aaron Donald said just to close out the show because it struck me as as shocking. Aaron Donald, best defensive player in football, football season starting. Everyone's getting ready for game one. It's coming up. Maybe we can stop talking about Tom Brady's plastic surgery or stop talking about Baker Mayfield and just start having games. That'll be good. There's a lot more in football during the preseason. Did you notice all these joint practices? I asked someone in the industry why teams are doing that. And the answer was we're trying to simulate competition and we get very tired of hitting each other in padded practices, no matter how few of them they are, having changed in the collective bargaining agreement because of concussions and because of money. But all of that said, when you do a joint practice, what it means is you get to see other people, you get to practice your sets, even though coaches say, whatever we did in this joint practice, we'll never do it again during the season. So you've got players learning plays that they're never going to do. It's the old Bill Belichick who sets up one play at the end of the year by doing it totally differently for the first 15 games and then changes it in week 16 or 17. I love it. It's like mental warfare. But in a joint practice last week, Aaron Donald, when the Rams were practicing with the Bengals, Aaron Donald did something where he basically used a helmet to fight during a fight during these joint practices. There's all sorts of fights that take place, which is everyone, they're hot, they're grumpy, they don't want to be at training camp. They, they just have a fuse. And when you put big people in, a, in pads, you're basically going to have fights and feuds. So Aaron Donald does something that if Miles Garrett had done, he would have been suspended for six games. But if Aaron Donald does, it's really no big deal. And the reason why it's no big deal is Aaron Donald is this superstar defensive player of the year, but also the NFL does not have the right to discipline a player for any action that takes place in a practice. It's gotta be the team. You think that the Los Angeles Rams are going to stop Aaron Donald from playing in week one against Buffalo? You think the Los Angeles Rams are going to do anything? Now, if he's not a superstar, they probably would have released him. But it's Aaron Donald, so they do nothing. And the NFL can do nothing. It's time to stop these joint practices. I do not agree with them at all. It is not good. It makes players do things that they otherwise would not do. But it's yet another example of superstar treatment and players who believe when they're good at their sport, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Aaron Donald went on to a podcast and said, I don't really want to go back to nothing negative that happened and talk about something that happened in a practice. My main focus is Buffalo. And as NFL fans, we all say the same thing. I agree. I'm good. Don't you worry. Behave however you want. Do whatever you want. When are we going to get tired of that? When it comes to the NFL, and this is obviously me being permanently jealous of the NFL as having been in baseball, but when are we going to come to the epiphany that the behavior of NFL players is just not right? And we are going to 
exhibit and manifest our view by not watching games or not going to games. Is that ever going to happen? No. Ever. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Tonight, we're going to watch Serena play at 7 p.m. And then we're going to maybe talk about it again tomorrow. You never know. Enjoy your Thursday. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.